0: Welcome to Puckheads, your source for NHL and hockey news around the globe. I'm Matt Rosenberg, alongside me making a triumphant return after two weeks off. It's Zach Smith, and a lot to get into, a lot of breaking news over the last oh, couple hours or so as well, and some stories that have come out over the last uh, couple days as well. We'll talk about a few teams, and we'll do all of our normal segments as well here on December 16th. Uh, Really, first, we're going to get into the breaking news that happened about two hours ago. Taylor Hall, Trade Watch, officially over. Uh, Kind of weird because he was held out of a couple games this week and um, this weekend and wound up becoming traded to the Arizona Coyotes of all teams for three prospects and two draft picks, a 2020 uh, conditional pick where it will either be a first-rounder this year as long as Arizona's pick is not in the top three, which right now it looks like they are well-destined on not being in the top three. Uh, of the draft order, as well as a 2021 pick, which could be either a third rounder or all the way up to a first rounder. It is a third rounder for sure. It is a second rounder if Arizona wins a series, a playoff series, or re Taylor Hall. It becomes a first rounder in 2021 if Arizona wins a playoff series and Resigns Taylor Hall So he got all that Which sounds like an NFL playoff scenario right now That is it But the big news New Jersey uh, Throwing in the towel on their season Which they should Because they have been pretty bad uh, This year And trading Taylor Hall to the Arizona Coyotes I, I love this move Zach For the Arizona Coyotes uh, They definitely need some more Cool scoring Phil Kessel hasn't been lighting up the lamp And maybe it takes some pressure off of Phil Kessel Having another high scoring winger in town
1: Absolutely. And first, just want to say glad to be back. Uh, Thank you to Matt for holding it down for two weeks. Not easy to do, uh, you know, 25 to 35 minutes by yourself. Um, Definitely a great job solo while I was out of town. Um, Yeah, I mean, massive move for Arizona. This is a team that, um, you know, right now they're top of their division. Uh, they've got some question marks because you know the defense and the goaltending is great, but where's the offense going to come from? Can you sustain any long term playoff success? Here's your move. You you instantly get uh, one of the best scores in the game. You're going to solidify your offense as a legitimate threat. Um, you know you give up a good amount for him, but when you have a window and you have a chance to make a Stanley Cup run, you have to go all in on it. And obviously, the conditional picks become a little. Uh, heavier on what they gave up. Not really too worried about the minor leaguers, more the picks. Um, New Jersey is retaining half the salary, so it doesn't hit you that hard in the cap. Um, you know, whether they keep them or not after the season, um, I you got to applaud the move to go after it. Arizona's been great so far. They're even better now. So, um, yeah, I think it came as a surprise. We were mentioning, you know, Edmonton was the big name of where he might go. He might make his way back up to uh, – up to Canada, um, I think Arizona, no-brainer move for them.
0: Yeah, it was uh, interesting that, you know, there was a lot of speculation, as you mentioned, that, you know, going up to Canada or and Edmonton, and, you, you know, it's something that I, I just think that for Arizona to strike out and really give up three prospects and, you know, you never know how they're going to turn out. For somebody like Taylor Hall, they're showing you're serious. And let's be honest, a week Pacific Division in terms of there doesn't look like there's an elite team in the Pacific this year. I would say the elite teams in the Western Conference are in the Central Division in Colorado and St. Louis, but, you know, you've got Vancouver hanging around, you have Edmonton who's tied with Arizona for the league. Vegas is right there, Calgary, and then you have the three California teams which are just lagging behind everybody, and, you know, I I like to move for Arizona because it gives them depth and it gives them somebody who's been there, done it and who can really, I think be rejuvenated by being into a playoff race with teams that he's familiar playing against.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Going on
0: from Taylor Hall, an exciting
1: young player into uh, someone who may be a bit past his prime. We have uh, the LA Kings putting Ilya Kovalchuk on waivers. Um, You know, it it was surprising to see him come back. I, I was personally surprised to see him go to the Kings, considering it didn't seem like their window was there. Um, we'll see. I mean, you and I debated whether he's going to get picked up. He could provide some uh, some scoring presence, maybe on a, a back line or something on the power play. But uh, it really looks like it's the uh, the end of a long
0: career for him. Yeah, supposedly uh, Kovalchuk has an offer from a team in the KHL, according to his agent, but he wants to stay in the NHL. His family lives in L.A., Uh, This is somebody who went MIA from the kids during the season. And now that the final bonus was paid out on Sunday, they were free to, you know, cut him. And uh, he will get through waivers. Nobody's going to claim him with that cap hit. And, you know, there are teams that might be... I I don't see San Jose being interested anymore, just of where the state of their team is. They have calf problems. You want to talk about a roster that, boy, is just not gelling like everybody thought they would. And... You know Boston, but I wonder if Boston would really want to disrupt the chemistry of their team. They've had you know a losing streak of recent, but before that, this is a team that was among the best in the East. Still is among the best in the East, um, and so you do wonder who would be interested. I I just don't know for somebody who's past his prime, isn't the goal scoring threat that he is anymore. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see really anybody. I mean, they tried to trade him for the last month, and there was absolutely no interest. So now you could say that because he's going to get past waivers, and if someone signs him to a minimum contract, uh, you know, that could be something, you know, maybe that would interest somebody. But I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't see truck getting picked up.
1: Yeah, I. it wouldn't surprise me if a team uh... – picked him up to get a little spark if they were, um, you know, sitting in the middle of their division. But otherwise it's, uh, it's, it's interesting for someone who was as elite as he was back, um, you know, during his mainstay in the NHL. Um, a little sad to see it come to an end like this. Obviously he, he leaves high and dry to go uh, back over to Europe and play. He comes back to the Kings kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, tumultuous you know, ride with them might be the right word. Yeah. Um. You know, highs and lows, but mostly it seemed like a lot of lows and rocky patches. So, um, we'll see. It looks, I don't know, end to a a long career, a great career, a player who was you know absolutely dynamic in his prime, and uh, yeah, we'll see if he's able to uh, make one last push for this uh, the second half of this season coming up.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting to see if he does make a push, which I could possibly see happening, but. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just not entirely sure. I, I, like I said, I, I have a hard time seeing it. Um, uh, not only, I think you have to go to, really, what, what's going to be the lead story until these two stories broke today is the uh, story about Oscar Lindblom in, in Philadelphia. In, in, I want to say it was Friday that this news came down of Lindblom, uh, Oscar Lindblom being diagnosed with Ewing's sarcoma, which is a rare form of bone cancer that affects young people. Uh, it's the most commonly diagnosed between ages 10 and 25. Lindblom is 23. Uh, just a very sad story. It's it just heartbreaking to see a very talented player. He's going to be out for the rest of the season while he battles this and tries to get treatment to defeat this. And uh, just a very, very scary thought. Um, and, and you're always concerned about the person, not what the player he is, I and mean, a very talented player at that who was tied for the lead in goals for Philadelphia. It's a huge loss to their lineup, but more importantly for Glen um, it's devastating personally, you know, to have to go through, you know, uh, cancer, especially when maybe, you know, you're feeling all right, and it's just something abnormal that comes mm-hmm. up, and so y- you really do hope that Glen is going to, Defeat uh, this and get healthy sooner rather than later.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you send your thoughts and prayers to him. Hopefully, uh, you know, he can focus on getting healthy, getting through this battle. Um, you know, young people, and, you know, as young people ourselves, Matt and I, a lot of times we can think, uh, you know, stuff like this isn't going to happen. You especially think that about a professional athlete someone who uh you know is in the top one percent of uh, athletic people in the world and just of great talent it can happen to anyone it's always devastating to hear it so um he's got a great support system uh, again you know you, better to catch this now than than later always good to uh have the uh the great work of the hospital out there in philadelphia who uh discovered it and you know, we're hoping for the best, we're wishing for the best, hopefully, uh, you know, first things first, get him healthy, get him past this, and then uh, we can talk about an NHL return then, but, you know, you want to focus on him just getting all right.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, it's a very sensitive situation, a lot of privacy, and it was, uh, you know, something like I said came out about 4.30 Eastern time on Friday, and Linwell was, uh, you know, really nobody kind of knew what was going on with him, and, um, you know, you know, you know, really sad thing. And as you said, uh, well put that, and our thoughts and prayers are with him. I don't know if you caught this. No, I, I caught a fantastic read in the Athletic by Craig Kustans, uh Craig Hustans, excuse me. Um, that he has been dealing with uh, concussions or or post concussion syndrome with brain injuries and not feeling like himself. Tim Thomas was inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Saturday evening, um, and you know Thomas, kind of you, you know came out. And he's been very reclusive since he retired, what five years ago, and Thomas, you, you know, never been to an NHL game or anything like that. And he said that he just was he's been in the fog, doesn't feel like himself, and one of the scariest things I saw in this story, and I want to get it right, so I am uh, scrolling through it, was that Tim Thomas said that, I believe in two-thirds of his brain, there was like 5% function right after he retired, and yeah, so one year after he stopped playing, he got a Saris scan on his brain, and analysis people receive when they're dealing with symptoms of traumatic brain injury, and Thomas says that, you know, he couldn't decide what he wanted to eat, where he wanted to go, couldn't plan a schedule. Survived following the team's schedule through the rest of the final year, and just made it through. Um, according to these test results, two-thirds of his brain was getting less than 5% blood flow. The other third was averaging fifty percent He had a hard time processing. He has a hard time processing now, he said. Usually it takes a couple hours to reorder the thoughts of everything in his head. Um, yeah, it's just... An incredible thing when you think about it, and um, you know, just scary, scary. So, what's happening to Tim Thomas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think "scary" is the right word. Um, I can remember towards the end of his career, hearing some of the stories and uh, him being out with injuries, and you know, a lot of uh, a lot of lack of communication on what was going on there. It's sad to hear that this is um, this is what he was experiencing and is still experiencing today. Um, Look, this is one of the realities of the game of playing really any professional sport where contact's involved Um, we see all the CTE issues over in the NHL um, or in the NFL the NHL is no different Um, you know there's there's just as much contact these guys are just as hard um, hitting of players and this is an unfortunate part of the game so it's uh, it's an important issue to bring light to I mean we talked uh, a few months ago about Robin Leonard coming out and you know discussing in, in more of a public uh, view some of the the challenges he's facing on the mental health issue this is another topic that needs to be discussed because you know players need to make sure they're, they're making the right decisions to to be safe out there that these things are being monitored that the health coverage is there you know during and after to make sure that we can uh, combat this in, in all professional sports so um, you know it's sad to hear Tim Thomas uh, you know come out with the reality that he has and you know, you just gotta hope that he's, you know, making progress, getting the support he needs and uh um, you know, we wanna eliminate this as much as we can from the game, but the reality is it there's a chance that it won't ever be eliminated completely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's scary. Uh scary for Tim Thomas. You said it's probably never gonna be resolved completely, but you know, you just do what you can. Um uh, you know, <laughs> into another story and Really exactly when you were out, it was basically the NHL firing coaches left and right. Uh, we have now five coaches that have been fired. That's the sixth of the league where the head coaches have been fired. You have Mike Babcock, John John Hines of New Jersey. Babcock uh, was at Toronto. You have uh, Jim Montgomery, who went out last Monday. And I detailed that a little bit last week in Dallas. You have Bill Peters. Bill Peters, thank you. I was like, why am I blanking on, on Calgary? And you have Pete DeBoer in San Jose. Now, John Hines was fired because New Jersey's just been awful. And, and the thing is, it was well, that was like, what was that, like two or three hours before game time? He got fired or, or the morning of the game? And so, I, mean, after I think it was like two or three hours. And they just, you know, the assistant uh, was the interim. But in the case of Babcock and Bill Peters, and Jim Montgomery, you've had allegations surrounding conduct, and it's not all the same conduct. Mike Babcock, it turned out, was a lot of what he did to Mitch Marner when Mitch Marner was a rookie. You have Bill Peters, who, in his case, was for past things that he did. Um, and you have um, Jim Montgomery kind of get fired in... Very weird circumstances where there was an investigation, and then he was fired. Actually, he was fired last Tuesday. So I didn't get into this. Uh, actually, if, if I if I recall, I didn't really have a chance to get into this. Like you know, we got into a little bit that there might have been something, but you know, Jim Montgomery was fired uh, either last Monday or Tuesday. And now I'm totally blanking. But my point is, it's pretty jarring when a team has to come out. On Wednesday, and they fire their coach like San Jose did with Peter Moore. And the first thing they have to say in the release is this is not because of conduct. This is hockey related reasons because the team is struggling. This has nothing to do with Peter Moore's conduct. Is that indicative of where our culture is now in hockey?
1: You know, it's, it's a great question. It's definitely one that. Um you know needs to be asked because um you know on a on a lighter side after uh San Jose fired their coach i believe um you know the fun stat that i saw was five coaches had been fired since the red wings had won a game uh it kind of gives you an amazing you know perspective on what happened in just a you know less than a month pretty much with all these coaches um you know i'm not sure if this is indicative of the culture of coaching or the culture of where society is in general. Because if, if I had to wager on it, I would guess that the kind of things that Mike Babcock and Bill Peters, um, and to a lesser point, Jim Montgomery were fired for are things that have been happening for, you know, forever. Uh, misconduct, you know, on a personal level has always been happening, uh, inappropriate conduct. And, um, you know, using offensive language towards players, I'm sure has always been happening. I think it's more indicative of players feeling like they are, um, they have enough power to, to come out and say something about it. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's indicative of the coaching culture. I think that's remained the same, but I think as players become more empowered, we're going to see stories like this come out because they're no longer, you know, it's not even them having more power. It's them, you know, getting more respect as as people and not just athletes. And I think um, this is definitely not the beginning across all sports that we're going to be hearing stories like this.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think you're going to hear more come out. And I think you're right. It's players that have been empowered. Um, one of the things, and I was actually listening to the radio on the end, and Mark Triangreco, a local sportscaster here in Chicago, said that it, you he know, gives a lot of credit to Carcillo because Carcillo has been Advocating and encouraging players to come out with their stories, and I really do think that you are going to hear more and more, and you know more is going to come out, you know, in the near future. But I, you know, I still think that coaches need to realize you can't coach maybe the old ways, and you know this is a much more socially aware um, population that coaches have to deal with. It's it's not like 20, 25 years ago, when there was no social media, and you know, so communication is more instantaneous and more easily accessible to ev- everybody. No matter w- what your uh, race is, no matter what your um, you know economic situation is, you communication is just readily accessible to everybody, um, and a lot more easily. So, I think that coaches just have to be more aware of that, and coaches need to realize that it is a different cult you know these are you know it's a different population and they react differently than they did 25 years ago they just no longer keep quiet when this stuff happens
1: absolutely and i think really you know there's such a there's such a stigma of you know the soft generation that's being raised and everyone being offended by everything i don't think that gets into it because people can feel however they want about the way this is going <laughs> This is just, as you mentioned, a change in generation, a change in how you're able to conduct yourself in a personal level, and a professional level, the access to, uh, you know, being on record and everything following you. It's a combination of all these things. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's as easy as saying people have just gone soft um, because I don't, you know, some of the, the conduct and, and the language that's being used here, it, it's offensive to, you know, yep. to... just be blunt about it it's not like people are soft when uh, you know you're being bullied or having racial slurs at you so I think you know these these stories need to be said because you can be a good coach and you can be a tough ass as a coach without going over the line like a lot of these players did Um, you know I we're gonna see more about this we're gonna see more in you know in college sports across all professional sports Um, it's bound to be a pattern because you know just how many coaches there are you have to consider that this conduct is across all leagues so yeah I think it's um it's right to be calling these people out there's so many good coaches out there we really should be yep. focusing on that
0: yes absolutely so I uh, and you know well said I, I can't say it any better than that so uh, moving on to some of the player news and a few of the teams. Jack Eichel's point streak is now the longest in the NHL this year. He has 16 consecutive games with at least a point. Uh, he's been phenomenal and really helped the Buffalo Sabres recover after their tough November. Uh, so Jack Eichel has been on fire. And how about the Vegas Golden Knights? They have been hot in their last 10 games, 7-2-1, which has vaulted them into third place in the Pacific Division.
1: Yeah, I mean, Vegas has uh, has been red-hot um, the last 10 games. They're sitting right behind Arizona and Edmonton in the Pacific Division. Um, you know, I, this is a team that we both thought was going to go pretty far. Uh, it's, it's nice to see them finally turning it on because I do think they're among the elite um, in the Western Conference and in the NHL overall considering the talent they have on their roster. So um, big ups to – them, big ups to Jack Eichel. Glad to see some of these players and uh, these teams doing what we expect of them.
0: Absolutely. And, and Buffalo uh, looking like, you know, they could be a playoff contender. If they can figure out a way to be more consistent and not hot and cold, which they have at times. Um, let's go to, you mentioned Detroit, that there were five coaches that were fired in between them, uh, you know, before they had won a game in that span. Uh, they did win two in a row which is their longest win streak of the year. Um, Detroit's really, really bad. So this was their first wins in the month. Unfortunately, they could not make it three in a row because they lost to the slightly less inept Los Angeles Kings last night in a game where Anze Kopitar uh, recorded his 919th career point, which puts him in fourth all-time in the Los Angeles Kings scoring list. And do you know who he just passed?
1: I guess Gretzky?
0: He did. Gretzky is now fifth on that list with the most points as a king. Uh, Kopitar about 400 and uh, you know, 435 or so off from the all-time lead in the kids. So still got a ways to go, but there's no reason to think that Andre Kopitar will not be the all-time leading scorer for the Los Angeles kids when it's all said and done. I think like he's got like 7... Years left on that contract with the kids, so all he's really got to do is average 60 60, 60 a year for that seven years, which really shouldn't be that hard. Um, all right, so let's go with the Chicago Blackhawks talk, and we'll get to the breaking news in a minute that's come down over the last hour, hour and a half. Um, this was a horrendous road trip, let's just say it, and. They, they lose to Vegas, they lose to Arizona. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vegas, uh, part of that, I mean, the count with the hot injury just destroyed this team. And then you get to Saturday against St. Louis. They're up 3 nothing with 15-46 left or something like that in the third period. They proceed to give up four unanswered goals and lose 4-3 to three in regulation. And this, it was just a horrendous road trip. Let's just put it as it is. You can give him credit for winning last night, thanks to a Patrick Kane hat trick. They beat Minnesota. Eric Stahl gets his 1,000th career point. And I give Eric Stahl a lot of credit with a tremendous career. But this was a horrendous road trip. And I go back to. I'm watching that game against Vegas last Tuesday night. And the Hawks are on the power play. And the Birdcat just. I, I, I'm trying to remember if he. Uh, blew blue attire or if he just did not cut off the guy coming off the zone, or if he just missed the puck and it went over his stick. Um, but, all of a sudden, Vegas is on a two-on-one, short-handed, and I'm watching this, and I- I- I'm seeing Eric Gustafson skate backwards, and-, and look, not to pick on Eric Gustafson, I made it clear I'm not a fan, I would have traded him last year because I thought it was much like Avicel, you know, say Garcia's theory of the White Sox, that if he had a career year, he's never going to have a year like that. Guy is too limited. And Gustafson, you know, Crawford has the shooter, has the angle for the shooter. And Gustafson said doesn't skate over to, you know, he tries to be way too far in the middle and he leaves the, you know, the guy on the left open and then he tries to like, Bend and, you know, get the pass out of midair air and it goes way over him, and then the guy's just got a free and clear shot. The puck goes into that that. it goes in that afterwards because he just didn't commit, and you know, the basic principle is when you're a defenseman at 2-on-1, you have to either take the shooter or you have to take the passer. You can't, you know, you can't try to get, do both and get caught in the middle or, or, you know, wait to react because then it's too late. And, uh, it was horrendous, and uh, the loss in St. Louis was unacceptable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's – that play that you just mentioned is pretty indicative of how the season's gone. Um, you can make one move, you know, to the left, one move to the right, and, you know, hopefully, you know, something goes right, and they stay down the middle, and they, they screw themselves either way. Um I mean, it's it's getting worse. Uh, you know, they're bottom of the central now. That win over Minnesota really doesn't mean anything um, because it's not like you're beating a top team, and you need your only player apparently who plays offense on the team to bail you out with a hat trick. Um, you know, they're they're bottom six in the league, and that that's pretty generous because they're playing among you know the yes. the Detroit's and the Devils down in the bottom. Um, but my. I feel bad for saying it. They've got, you know, like three players that are worth anything on the team in Kane, Crawford, and Leonard. Um, You know, where has Debrinkat gone? How about Shaw? We thought he would be a spark plug. Uh, Taze isn't scoring. Keith and Seabrook look old and slow. Um, You know, I'm not going to put on the young guys because, um, you know, they're doing the best they can, and they shouldn't come in to save your team, uh, guys that are 19 and 20 years old. So I'm not putting it on, on Doc at all. Um, we've mentioned all season the best part of this team is the goaltending because despite everything, Crawford and Leonard have been you know fantastic considering what they're working with. Um, they've got a 16-goal differential in the negative. Um, that's not good when you can't score. Um, you know, it's it's just everything They have They have the roster and they have the goaltending To be a contending You know, team in, in their division In the Western Conference They're certainly not the least talented team In the division, I don't think I mean, their roster is much better than Minnesota Yet, they're behind them Even after a big win last night yeah. So, uh, it's I don't know, it's frustrating It's puzzling Yeah, it's Again, we we've I don't wanna feel like we've gone after Colleton this whole season like it's all his fault, but clearly the coaching staff has no idea what's going on either. They can't get, you know, the numbers what that they need out of their top guys. Um you know, I don't think it's all talent. I think it's a combination of everything other than the goaltending because they don't deserve any of this blame they're playing, you know, out of their minds considering what they've got, you know, supporting them.
0: Well you have your goaltender on Thursday, Robin Leonard, who said, we've got to be better defensively. I, you know, you can't be giving up this many breakaways and expect me to continuously have to stop these shots, you know. He goes, it's three-on-ones, it's two-on-ones, three-on-twos the entire game. And, and he's absolutely right. And, you know, I will just say, though, that after St. Louis, I would have met Jeremy Carlton and Stan Bowman on the tarmac, if I was John McDonough, and I would have fired them right on the spot. I would have fired them. I would have fired the entire coaching staff, which we're going to get into in a second here. I, I, you know, because Stan Bowman has not figured out how to evaluate this talent. He has put this team into a bind with the no movement causes, not the money, but the no movement causes. So you can't even. It's that much harder to. Um, it's that much harder to move at Seabrook to, you know, move a Keith. And, and, you know, with Taze and Seabrook were deserving of their money. You know, Seabrook, I, I personally wouldn't have given him that much money because I thought Stan negotiated against himself like he tends to do in these things. But the moment the Blackhawks went down is when they traded Artemi Panarin and Nicholas Jomerson on draft day in Chicago. What was that? Four years ago? You know, and because they they were pissed that they had lost to Nashville Predators. Well, that team probably overachieved in 2016. But, you you know, you gave up an elite winger who had incredible chemistry with Patrick Kane. I mean, can you think about where this team would be? Uh, You know, and you probably were never going to afford Artemi Panarin, but it's like one of those great what-ifs. What ifs what if? You had kept our Temi Panarin. What if you had kept Nicholas Stromer? This is going to be one of those great mysteries because you had Nick Smoltz, you had um trying to think. So that would have been twenty sixteen, which is that's when they drafted the cat If I am correct, I think so. I, I'll have to go back and look. But in terms of was the cat a trade, and I'll look at it here in a second. But you know, think about where this team would have been. You, you know, you had a lot of young talent on this team, and, you know, then he trades Henry Haru for Alex Nylander. I think we can say that that was a mistake. We said it was a mistake four months ago, five months ago, whatever the trade was. It's just, It's been a abject failure for this team. He has, he Stan Bowman has left his defense where it's going to take forever to fix it. And, you know, Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane don't deserve to continuously play out their careers in just a horrendous situation where they have no hope of making the playoffs. And it's very clear that I over-evaluated the talent on this team in the offseason, thinking that they could be a dark horse eight seed. I Look, this team is headed for the lottery. And and they're going to have to hope for lottery luck because, you know, and draft... I, I don't even know what you draft. I think you got to go defenseman. The fact that we're talking about this already sickens me. But, yeah. y- you know, you're going to have to just continue to do this, but it doesn't help the bottom out because you can't bottom out with this roster. And Jeremy didn't look, I, I'm going to lay off him for a week, but his coaching style sucks. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it without going into depth.
1: Yeah, it's clear that he's not able to get the talents and the energy out of this roster like uh, Q was. Even when they were doing bad under Q, um, you know, it certainly wasn't deserved of a firing, and now he's in a better situation, much like many of these great players should be. Look, I mean, it's hard to – you never want to live in what-if scenarios because, of course, it's hypothetical and, and, you know, it doesn't mean anything. But I personally would not give up the three cups in the span that they did in this decade. Um, You have to pay the guys who got you that. I understand that. But I feel like the biggest flaw of Stan Bowman was making the trades to get players that we had during the the cup runs without thinking of whether what they had turned into fit the system anymore. Panarin versus Saad straight up, you know, that looks like a nonsensical move right now. No one would do that right now. Panarin well deserves his $80 million in New York. Saad has been nowhere. Where has he been? Um, You know, the moves that they made. They felt like really good hometown reunion moves. We loved Shaw coming back. We loved Saad coming back. Um, they, they just haven't worked out. That You know, I can't think of uh, a good move, really, that they've made in a while that, you know, they clearly won. And, you know, you talk about the lottery and the draft. I don't think lightning strikes twice. Uh, we already, you know, we got lucky getting the number three pick in the in this most recent draft. Um I just don't think it happens again. I, You know, and you say, who do you pick? You pick best player available because we need every position. There's not a position that we don't need currently on the roster. So um, I agree. I would hate to see some of those big names go, um, but it feels like a lot of these players deserve to, uh, to, to be somewhere where they have a chance to actually compete, and uh, Chicago just isn't that spot right now.
0: Yeah, and it's just I- – <laughs> I don't know, it's just, you know, you look at it and it just, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it I don't know, it, it just.
1: It's disappointing as a fan.
0: It, it is. It, it is incredibly disappointing as a, as a fan. And, you know, I, I thought what you said was, it was very well put, um, that. You know, you, you traded for, you know, the reunions. And, look, Andrew Shaw has been hurt. And, you know, Shaw's, I mean, they're so banged off. But it's just this team has given up 3-0 leads. How many times now? I mean, 3-0 leads. And so, by the way, that, that Alex DeBriguette pick was a, as a result of a trade from Montreal. So that was as a result of the Andrew Shaw trade in June 24, 2016. So, I mean, it changed for um, Minnesota's second-round pick in 2016 and this pick. So, I mean, look, remember, that was the trade where the Blackhawks got two second-round picks. So it, it's not like, you know, maybe perhaps and we're playing the what-if game, and I, if we do this, we'll be playing it all night, is that, you, you know, if you treat or treat our Panera with more respect, then maybe he does resign here. And so it's just, it's a giant what if game. It just becomes a cluster, um, of just what if scenarios. But it's just it's frustration and it's frustration because nobody is ever gonna regret the three cups in six years. I mean that was an incredible run, and we were incredibly spoiled. It's frustrating when you see this team just continuously make evaluation errors and in trying to get this and just they seem to be stuck in a quagmire but the Blackhawks had it really good for you know the first what seven years of this you know decade and so it's been a great run it's just it's frustrating because this is a team that seems like they have no direction right now
1: yeah and it's uh it's disappointing I mean And I hate to to end our Blackhawks talk on this, but Wednesday they host Colorado. Thursday they're at Winnipeg. Saturday they go back to Colorado. Um, Then you get a nice break with the Devils, but then you're playing the Islanders, the Jackets, the Flames, Vancouver. I mean, you're looking at six or seven of the next eight as being teams that are in the playoffs right now. I mean – You know, God, if they can even handle New Jersey, we'll be lucky at at the rate we're going. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be getting much better anytime soon. And we've been talking about, that's kind of the reality that uh, we've been trying to avoid facing over the last few weeks um, and this season in general. Um, You know, and now we're talking about the draft. So that kind of shows (laughs) you where we're at as uh, two diehard Hawks fans.
0: Yeah, uh, really quickly, I, I kind of... Put out this news. So the Blackhawks and Mark Crawford released a statement about an hour ago. Mark Crawford will be suspended until January second, twenty twenty, and that's when he will rejoin the team. So a suspension ends January you know two, uh, 2020. Um, They basically the Blackhawks said that they you know consulted in legal counsel. They don't cons- condone his previous behavior, but. Uh, they see. They said that he proactively sought counseling, become a leader. It starting in 2010 and continued uh basis. And Crawford basically just sent out a uh, statement, you know, saying that he was very encouraged by um, Sean Avery, Harold Drukin, Patrick Sullivan, and Brent Sobel, players that came out and spoke about his uh, treatment and uh, abuse towards them. I, I don't get it. I'm not entirely sure. That I don't know. Look, I, I, I it's just really another example. It, of it's of right. How they're running this I thing. T- to me, and I doubt that this came from Stan Bowman. I'm. I don't know. I mean, look, you're watching another season further away, and now you come out with this and you did do it, and but we're doing it. I, yeah, I just I'm kind of befuddled by it.
1: Yeah, I, I hate to even pretend like the like his conduct isn't part of the conversation, but what if his performance is even worth keeping? Then you add this onto it. I mean, right. it's yeah, cool. You got a three-week suspension. Go enjoy your, your vacation time. We'll get you when we're still in last place in the division, and you still have some questionable conduct about you. Yes. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense.
0: All right. Well, let's go to top three teams, shall we? Let's go to something just. Some good teams, Better, teams in the league. Rather than the Chicago Blackhawks rant, which I have a feeling we're just going to have to do a separate podcast at some point on that yeah. dumpster fire on Madison Street. Um, I'll, I'll go with my top three, and then you go with your top three. Uh, Number three, Colorado Avalanche. They have been great. I think they've gotten 17 out of the last 18 possible points. They've been fantastic. Uh, They're getting great goaltending. They're scoring. I mean, their defense has really improved. Even with Kale McCarr out, uh, they've been able to kind of weather the storm. Uh, this Colorado team, they're fun to watch. They have a huge game tonight, by the way, against my number two team, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I had a hard one with this. The Blues have kind of been up and down lately, but the only reason why I kept the Blues is that four-period comeback in the third period, or four-goal comeback in the third period, two of them by Tyler Bozak, which, by the way, do you know that Tyler Bozak has five goals this season, three of them, are against the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, And so with that comeback, I thought that I'm just going to give that slight little edge to St. Louis as my number two team. And because, you know, they were able to win and pull out the win uh, to keep them in first place in the Central Division by one point, as I mentioned, that game tonight between the Colorado Avalanche and St. Louis Blues for first place. And my number one team, the best team in hockey so far, the Washington Capitals, uh, just tremendous, they, they, you know, they continue to get it done, and it's like, I feel like you really haven't heard a whole lot, but this team is 24-5-5 five and five through 34 games, that's 53 points, which I believe puts them at 127-point pace, if my math is correct, Zach, which, by the way, is, what, one point less than Tampa Bay Lightning got last year? Just saying.
1: I mean, uh, hard to go wrong with any of those three teams. Uh, I'll just jump right into mine because there's a lot of um, similarities. Number three, St. Louis Blues, um, they had a good week. The special teams are good. Um, you know, I've said it I think the last couple weeks because I've had them in my top three. I still think the offense needs to, to you know get a, f- a few more shots and a few more goals in there. But at the end of the day, that's not the style they play. They like those close games. They like the defense and uh, Jordan Biddington and Net, you know, winning games for them. Um, and they continue to be without Tarasenko, their best offensive player. So hard to knock, um, you know, a little lull in the offense when that's your situation. So my number three team. Number two, I've got the New York Islanders, uh, three wins in a row. Overall, the the second best team in terms of goaltending when it comes to goals against. Um they're just fantastic. I mean, I don't know how they do it. They're, they, you know, it's it's not like they've got a bunch of superstars on their team. But, God, if they don't play good together, um, they're fun to watch. Number one, Washington Capitals. I mean, top ten, goaltending and defense. Number two, offense. Uh, my game of the week last week, um, you know, between them and Boston, I really felt like it, uh, it It played out the way it should have. Washington gets the win, but it's a good physical game through and through. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say they're running away with the Metropolitan Division just because the Islanders are still that good. Um, but, I mean, seriously, who's going to stop them? Um, they're still great on the special teams. There's just not much you can say negatively about them. Um, you know, I would contemplate that their fourth line's better than some teams' you know first <laughs> and second lines. So it, it's it, you're getting production across the entire roster. Um, they're just fantastic. It, they're fun to watch too. So those would be my top three.
0: Yeah, and talk about that Metropolitan Division, man. This is loaded this year with uh, not only Washington, Islanders, Carolina's is having a great year so far. And how about the Pittsburgh Penguins, man? Just resilient. They continue to get it done. Uh, they're still in the top wild card spot without Sidney Crosby for, what, a little over a month already. Yeah. And, uh I mean, the team has injuries galore. Matt Murray's not playing well, but Tristan Jari's been playing very well for yeah. them. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and you have Philly, Philly in there as well. The Rangers have played better, I think, than people expected. And that is just a fun division to watch. It's loaded. Absolutely loaded. I think, you know, it's going to be hard for the fourth-place Atlanta team to get in the playoffs the way that those Metropolitan teams are playing. All right, let's go to our Players of the Week. And I, well, first I have Anthony Duclair from Ottawa. Uh, How about this? Six points in his three games, uh, a pair of three-point games. And five goals. And on Saturday, he had a hat-trick against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I caught the end of that game. And, boy, he just launched a howitzer uh, on the game winning goal. So uh, just a, a slap shot on the power play. It was something to watch. So Anthony Duclair, he has 18 goals already on this season. Um, and so he is tied for ninth in the NHL in goals so far this year. Yeah, I mean – uh he
1: was probably, I think, one of the best stories of the week, um, just to come on for a team that otherwise doesn't have too much going on. Um, speaking of teams with not much uh, positive news to talk about, we already mentioned Detroit. Um, they won two games in a row, their first wins in a month. Um, I'm not quite sure there's going to be another chance this season to pick a Red Wing player as my player of the week, so i got to take it where I can get it. Jonathan Bernier, absolutely phenomenal. Um the two games they lost last week, he wasn't in net. Thank God for my player of the week pick. The two games they won, fantastic. He stopped 68 to 71 shots, um, a 957 save percentage. Again, two back-to-back wins, their longest winning streak of uh, probably this whole season um, as we're about at the halfway point. Just phenomenal. Um, he's been a great player his whole career, kind of on the back end of it, but great to see that he's still got it in him every once in a while. So, Bernier, staying with the goaltender trend, uh, my player of the week.
0: Yeah, that's it. He, he had a heck of a week. It's been, you know, it's good. Detroit deserves some good news because they don't have much else with the Red Wings and nine twenty three and 3 so far in 35 games, which I believe is the most that have been played in the NHL. Um, so, yeah. They, they seem to run away with the best odds in the NHL draft lottery. Um, going to our game of the week. So I have a matchup between two twenty game winners. I didn't want to pick the St. Louis, Colorado, Tristan Rebane tonight, and that game will be over by the time this gets up. But you have St. Louis and Colorado tonight, so I didn't pick them. So I went with a game Thursday. I have Carolina at Colorado. Two of the seven teams that have won 20 games so far. Carolina six 3-1 in their last 10. And Colorado, as we mentioned, has just been on a torrent stretch. 8-1-1 in their last 10. Uh, two of the best teams in the NHL going head-to-head on a Thursday night. Uh, yeah, I'll take that all night.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It should be a fantastic game. Um, man, Colorado's fun to watch. Carolina, an exciting team. Should be good. I went with... Uh, a game the night before, Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m., the Edmonton Oilers head to St. Louis to play the Blues. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, one of the best defensive teams in the league versus the best offensive team. You've got McDavid and Dreisaitl, um heading into St. Louis. I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, great contest of two of the top teams in the West. Uh, yeah, what? it's... Again, starting tonight, you already mentioned it, the great game tonight. There's great games every night. This is uh, one of the best weeks of hockey I've seen so far on the docket.
0: Me too. Me too. Looking forward to it. By the way, I mentioned seven teams with 20 wins, right? Obviously, we know Boston, Washington, Islanders, Carolina, as they aforementioned, St. Louis Blues, Colorado. The other team, Winnipeg Jets, have 20 wins already on the regular season. All right. Let's go to the... Our, I'd say it's our highlight segment. It Smith hits with Zach doing it this week. We're not filling in this set anymore.
1: Yeah, definitely glad to be back. Um, I'd like to blame the bad week on Matt. Um, I'm willing to take it, man. I can take it. Yeah, no, it was uh, um, a great job filling in, especially since I'm more of the gambling guy. Um, you know, I'm kind of forcing you to get into the lingo, and I think you're liking it a little bit more. I do. Um, as we mentioned. Going into this week, uh, pod picks 16 and 9. Uh, you know, a bad week. The week before, this week was pretty good, uh, 24 and 20 overall. So back in the right direction. Three games for Tuesday. Um, you know, three good games. I think we've got some good picks here. You've got 6 p.m. Central Time. The Kings head to Boston. Um, Boston's minus 235 on the money line what an overmatch here for the Kings. Um, there's really no reason why Boston should struggle with this game. Um, you know, take them, take them in every game, pretty much they're playing, but especially against the Kings, uh, Carolina at Winnipeg two twenty one 21 teams, as Matt just mentioned, it should be a great game. They've got Carolina favored, um, on the spread. It's one and minus one and a half, which, um, I'm surprised they're getting that many points, especially since it's in Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, Winnipeg, uh, you know, I've really liked their turning it on. I think it's going to be. I think Carolina could win. I do like them a lot. I just think Winnipeg's going to keep it close, especially with Hellebuck and Net. Um, so take Winnipeg with the points. Uh, expect a good one tomorrow night. Final game, Anaheim at Philly. The over/under is five and a half, um, and this game's at 6 p.m. Central as well. Listen, Philly, I think has. Probably close, other than Pittsburgh, to the most injuries um, on their roster. You've got um, a great goaltender playing for Anaheim. He'll be in net. I feel like you got to take the under, just given all things. Um, Hart's had a rough go in the, the past couple games. He's been in net for Philly. I think he's going to be able to match up well against Anaheim's lack of offense. I just expect uh, not a lot of goals. Take the under on the five and a half there.
0: Yeah, that's an Anaheim team that only averages about a little over about two and a half goals a game, and you mentioned Winnipeg. I'm surprised ten five and ten five and one at home. So uh, kind of surprised that they are the underdog in that one. But yeah. anyway, that's all the time that we have for puckheads. Uh, a little bit longer version because Zach and I haven't seen each other in a couple weeks and taught hockey. Yeah, so we missed we, each other. It, we did. We did. We, we had a lot to get off of our. Uh, chest in terms of hockey and all that, that we haven't been able to talk about. So, uh, anyway, that's all the time. We will have a holiday edition of Puckheads next Monday uh, with maybe some fun little segments and stuff involved. And so we uh, enter the really the holiday season with Hanukkah and Christmas both next week. So, for Zach Smith, I'm Matt Rosenberg. That's all the time that we have on Puckheads. Have a great week, everybody.